0: I think in some of the ways the clients are quite exhausted, right? Because it's been already a lot of effort and time and money which they spent on all these manual processes or maybe the reactive thinking. They are thinking more strategically, so digital is definitely on the agenda, it's getting sold etc, but I would say that there is more to be done.
1: From Toro Cloud, this is the Coding Over Cocktails podcast, a free pour of thoughts ideas, and advice from IT experts, innovators, and thought leaders, exploring the world of digital transformation, APIs, microservices, cloud adoption, and more. Welcome to episode 58 of the Coding Over Cocktails podcast. My name is Kevin Montalvo. Today we are joined by a TEDx speaker whose talk, Fail But Never Give Up, garnered over 40,000 views in less than a week and is now in the top 1.5% of TED Talks watched around the world. She's also a multi-award winning professional in digital topics, having won seven awards just in 2021. Today, she is an associate partner at Oliver Wyman, consulting top financial services firms globally as an expert in digital cloud and data. Joining us for a round of cocktails is Alina Timofiva. Hey, Alina, you've been very busy, but we're very glad and excited you found time to be on our show. Welcome.
0: Hi, thanks a lot, Kevin, and a lot for such a good intro.
1: All right, great. So let's dive right into the questions. And we're very excited to talk about this because you recently did a TED Talk at a TEDx Bedford event. I've watched it twice, actually. I watched it once at home, and then I watched it again here uh, in the office with our team. It's titled Fail But Never Give Up where you detailed your journey as you migrated from Russia to the UK, finding success along the way. So can you share with us a sneak peek of this talk by talking about your background and how you ended up with a finance and technology role in the UK?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, the talk really is aimed at immigrants, so I'm hopeful that it will be of interest to your audience. I mean, I'm I'm an immigrant, as you pointed out, so I do come from quite a humble background, and I... I spent a lot of time in terms of, you know, changing my mindset, adapting to failures, and I had quite a lot of failures. I mean, what I wanted to do with the talk is to actually inspire the immigrants that whether they want to have a career or just be successful or whether it's technology or any other topics, they are bound to come with failures and some of those failures could be very, 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 very strange. For example, one of my failures was that I used to work in McDonald's washing floors and I couldn't get promoted to doing burgers and Mm -hmm. I actually only got to doing fries. Um, But now, interestingly, well, I did make it to the associate partner just 10 years after washing floors at McDonald's, which is quite unusual.
1: Yeah, uh, actually, the McDonald's part was one of my favorite parts of the talk. And then now, as you said earlier this year, you joined Oliver Wyman's London office as an associate partner for digital and financial services. That's quite the leap, Alina. So can you share with us some of the challenges your clients have been facing uh, with regards to cloud adoption and digital and data-driven transformation and how you're helping them address these
0: Yeah. So I think the clients really I target are financial services. And if I make it more from the perspective of innovation right now, many of the clients keep talking about innovation. But when it practically comes to, you know, moving from legacy to cloud or, for example, thinking more strategically around how do you really do the true transformation rather than just doing it in parts, like in parts of the banks or just in little places. And that's where the challenge kind of comes. Specifically, at Oliver Wyman, there are a different set of support. And it's not like one product or one type of thing, which we do. It, of course, differs on the client. So in most of the cases, it's really challenging problems, which clients can't solve using, I guess, Big Four or Accenture or other providers. They are more like strategic, they're more broader ones. So one of the things I've been helping a bank to uh, remediate uh, their regulatory and audit inefficiencies around infrastructure, and those would talk about infrastructure engineering data, um, and a few other areas. So it's pretty much doing the global banks infrastructure as a strategy, as a vision with a key set of, you know, next steps, next initiatives, detailed analysis and ensuring that the bank can transform, not just doing it in silos, but doing it cross functionally, cross geographies globally. So that is kind of one of the examples. The other ones could be something like helping with the regulatory challenge. So it could be something like supporting the bank in terms of uh, the assessment around cloud or cloud compliance. And the third one is helping build the digital banks. And as you know, the digital banks will be data driven they will be cloud-based and it's quite a lot of new thinking which comes as part of it because obviously there aren't so many digital banks so far. So yeah. it's quite an extensive amount of work required.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's interesting you talked about them going through true digital transformation. You want to assist them to go through this authentic digital transformation. And as we're recording this, we're already at the tail end of 2021. It's going to be Christmas next week. (laughs) Looking back, do you think companies really took advantage of the time during this pandemic, it's been two years now, to digitally transform themselves? Or were they just responding to a one-off event that forced them to implement protocols for remote working and remote customer service, but missed the opportunity for this, what you say is true digital transformation?
0: I mean, I personally say that the pandemic definitely put into the minds of the people that it's very important to transform. I think that definitely at the start of the pandemic, it was very reactive. So some companies, for example, they just started the journey to cloud so that they can implement Teams and Zoom, which is not something completely transformative. They did it as a reaction because they had to be operationally resilient and they could not do the business for their clients. I mean, I remember a time when some of the banks were buying physical people to process loans and credits because they literally couldn't do it in the time required. And that is well, just the manual solution and nothing like digital transformation. I think at the moment, the topic of digital transformation comes up more and more often, but I think in some of the ways the clients are quite exhausted, right? Because it's been already a lot of effort and time and money which they spent on all these manual processes or maybe the reactive thinking. They are thinking more strategically. So digital is definitely on the agenda. It's getting sold, et cetera. But I would say that there is more to be done. And I think now is the right time to think about it holistically rather than being here is one use case. We can't give the credit to our customers and we have so many people asking for a credit. It's more like how do you transform the whole end-to-end you know, department or the whole end-to-end retail service of the bank,
1: for yeah, example. Um, I just want to go off on a tangent here. Do you have like any clients that... Um, you could share with us uh, their experience uh, if they were successful with achieving this true digital transformation. How would you describe these clients? Uh, How did they get to that point of true digital transformation? Did you have any experience with clients of that nature?
0: Well, I mean, the best examples are when people don't have legacy systems. So when they build banks from scratch, right? So there are known examples in the market already like Monzo or Chase right? And the reason they've been quite successful is because they went and built the whole infrastructure from scratch in the cloud. They've done it uh for perhaps a smaller subset of the operations, but they didn't have to go through the internal, you know, changes to the legacy systems, to the mindset of the people. They just cascaded a completely different team or a completely new bank and built it from scratch. So those guys were quite successful. They may Uh, you know as time may show it it may be the question of how they scale up uh, but I'm sure they'll be successful I've seen a few of these examples in UK but even broader as well when the branches when the banks say we can't we don't really want to transform the internal bank because it's going to take too much time let us build like a standalone bank for business or a standalone you know like branch or bank or whatever which is Completely different, completely customer focused, customer based, and let's do it this way. So, I've seen those examples as quite successful. With the other ones, I would say that people try doing digital transformation. They have plans, they have strategies, they have journeys, but it's just a question of time because it will be quite difficult to move away completely from the legacy systems to cloud. It will be uh, some journey in terms of the mindset, the culture, the people, the training. And it doesn't happen overnight.
1: Yeah, that's a perfect segue, actually, to my next question. Because as you've uh, said, a lot of companies still have uh, large investments in legacy on-premise systems. And sometimes these are essential to the operation of their companies. So how do these companies balance the demands of like, transforming themselves, getting on the cloud, because cloud computing is fundamentally changing the way that enterprises manage IT nowadays. How do these companies balance the demands of the cloud with their existing legacy systems?
0: Yeah, so I'll maybe pause for a moment just about cloud, because many people think about cloud as just IT transformation, but it's actually much broader because it's about the people, the process, the culture, and the technology. And one of the key interesting things about cloud is how do you bring the people together to speak the common language? So for example, you have the risk professionals, you have the engineers. The risk professionals are used to one language, the engineers are used to working in an agile way, the auditors are used, you know, to showing that there is proof of audit. And one of the challenges I've had so far is like the cultural difference between the people that used to work with legacy systems versus the people that are these cloud-driven, data-driven, innovation-driven, et cetera, and how this spins together. So it's not so much just about the IT part, because the IT part is more straightforward. The IT part is more like, I have legacy apps, let's make an exercise of what we can decommission, for example, and you can logically deduct based on what you use and how you use it, what you can decommission, how long it's going to take, how long, you, how much you want to keep paying for your data centers versus you know, using cloud. I mean, it's not very easy, but it's very logical. I think the thing which takes more is more of this culture and this mindset of transforming the organization in terms of the operating model, in terms of the processes and in terms of the people. And that's where I see a lot of I guess, challenges, practically, uh, partially because people don't know how to do it, but partially because it's just something which takes longer time and it's less straightforward. I think to answer your question about legacy systems, I mean, a lot of the clients I see, they invest into cloud, they write a strategy and they say, by going to cloud, we're going to be X percent less expensive, Y percent more innovative. And that percent more scalable. But the reality is they end up spending a lot of money on cloud uh, or you know, people supporting them through the cloud transformation. And they don't really realize the benefits. Uh, so they would perhaps you know, spend all this money, but they would get a regulatory fine. Or they would only migrate 10% of their applications into cloud throughout four or five years. And basically, they are not meeting these strategic outcomes of scalability, agility, cost savings, et cetera. And then, I guess, just going back to my TEDx talk, they fail and then they get very frustrated about it. And then you have this conjunction of both the legacy systems and the cloud platforms together. And the people are not so sure, you know, do we need to transform? How do we transform? Do we, you know, fail quickly and learn from it or how do we move forward? And those are some of the things which keep coming up quite typically. Uh, On this journey, because there is like this upward thing and then there is the downside. And then the question is, how do you recover from the downside and how do you move forward?
1: Yeah, it's part of the process, right?
0: Yes. So there is something called now. I I don't think that this is a known term. It's essentially is a time to remediate cloud because so many organizations started on it, but they haven't perhaps reached their potential or met their strategy, which they have outlined in the past.
1: That's interesting. And uh, I just want to go back a little bit uh, to what you said, uh, your point about it, digital transformation, I mean, and cloud transformation, uh, being more of a cultural challenge rather than a, you know, technology challenge. And that's interesting, because it's a theme, it's a recurring theme that often comes up in this podcast. So why do you think there's a more difficult, there's uh, companies are having a hard time with the cultural aspect of digital transformation rather than the technological
0: one. Yeah, I mean, if I give you an example, how much time do people spend sitting in governance meetings? So some of the clients which I work with, they say we're trying to embark on the transformation. We're using cloud, we're using data, we have all our engineers. But eight hours of the day, we keep spending sitting in the governance meetings and people asking us, you know, how do you ensure you are compliant? How do you ensure that you will get audited? How do you ensure that you have identified all the risks and mitigated them as well, right? And people get frustrated about it because instead of doing the innovation, they actually sit in governance meetings and it's called drowning in governance meetings. So, I mean, some of it has to do with the cultural thing. And I recently did a kind of more in-depth paper, which is ultimately going to become an article. And it's more like thinking about how do you bring the people together? How do they talk the same language? How do the people that uh not necessarily manage change, but the people who are BAU people, like the risk officers, risk managers, auditors, how do they understand the key risks and, you know, what really the organization is doing from the digital transformation? How do they ensure that instead of, you know, taking the time potentially of the people, they actually move in an agile way and they help the bank transform and it's not just the risk people I think it's a lot about just generally people in the bank or in the organization but generally you tend to have a clash of cultures because some people are very 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 keen to move fast and they don't understand the lens of change risk audit etc and some people perhaps don't understand the technology that well and uh, more learning or training or cultural development is required to just bring them together to ensure that this happens some of the things which i really advocate for is digital transformation if you do as a big bang will be very very difficult so you can do it in a imagine it's a bank you can choose a specific area so for example cloud transformation right or conduct risk or third party controls And you choose that as an area uh, where you have already the risks, the controls, etc. And you try to use a more automated, more digital way to look at it. And then you show it as a great example to the bank, if it is successful, that this is how we moved forward with the culture, with the people. And then if people like it, then you kind of scale it up throughout the bank. So that is one of the approaches, which perhaps is not too um, time-consuming, not too lengthy, and good enough to show, you know, to prove the hypothesis that if you work on it in this way, uh, you know, this can help transform the bank. I think in many of the cases, people start on a big transformation, then they get very tired after a year, and then it kind of goes down a little bit.
1: Yeah. And it's not too disruptive either.
0: Yes. yes.
1: Right. All right. So as speaking of culture, uh and you being an immigrant experiencing all these different kinds of cultures you know go from russia and to the uk let's talk about diversity in the tech industry so when it comes to success in diversity and equal opportunities you're obviously proving people wrong uh being promoted four times in the past four years so congratulations on that however current statistics show that women are still underrepresented underpaid and often discriminated against in the tech industry. So as a very active supporter and advocate of women in tech, what do you think should be done in order to address this?
0: There are quite a lot of things. Maybe I'll talk briefly about my experience. I personally think that diversity is not just like women and men. I think that diversity is much broader. It can be things like immigrants. It can be things like you know, different races, different backgrounds, etc. So all of that is diversity. It's not just women. I think when I came to the UK and I started working in technology, there were only I don't know, two or three kind of big negative events. So I would probably I I, I can't say about underpaid necessarily, but I think that in the start, when I joined uh, on my project, I was the only woman and there were like 30 or 40 guys and they were like maybe 10 or 15 years older than me. And they didn't take me seriously at all. So they took me as this wonderful Russian woman, but not as a strong technological uh, individual, right, which I wasn't very happy with. Um, I mean, I mean, the second thing is there is an element and I don't think that this is specifically women in technology again, but it's also just the respect for women in the industry, because now I'm an associate partner, so I don't think anybody kind of comes to me. But when I was an analyst or like uh, consultant, there were a lot of people who I would have thought are treating me less respectfully than they should, which I didn't quite like. And I guess in terms of what can be done to address this, so there are some of the things which are done by organization, and those are the things, you know, ensuring how do you hire women, how do you maintain women, how do you help them throughout, you know, the journey in particular when you go from the middle kind of layer to the senior layer because that's where you lose most of the women. Um, I I would probably say that more can be done around helping women with the confidence. And one of the researches I recently read, which I think is interesting to the audience, is if you come to the meeting, right, many guys would say, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. Definitely. That's an idea. And at that point in time, they're only 30% certain that this is a great idea. Whereas if it's a woman, a woman would be like, I need to be 100 or 120% certain that this is a great idea, and only then I'm going to speak up and say it's a great idea. And then when she does speak up, not everybody takes her seriously, which kind of down downgrades the whole thing. Um, so that is kind of one of the examples which the employers could do specifically. I think outside of the employees, and that's maybe something which the advocates could, could support with. It's very important of upbringing women with the idea, you know, yes, you can do it. Yes, I don't know, it can be either the mentor or the sponsor. I think the sponsor is perhaps even more important now than the mentor. But it's giving this confidence. So my experience has been, as you may have heard from my talk i was brought up to be a housewife so nobody has ever expected from me to go and work in any digital transformation or become an associate partner or you know get promoted so that was not an expectation and to be honest when i came to uk nobody told me that yes you can do it yes you can do it yes you can do it and in fact i failed Uh, quite a few times in in the start of my career. And when I came to my previous employer, There was one of the partners who, to be honest, he didn't know all my background history, but he would sit with me and say, you're going to be a partner. You're going to be a partner. You're going to be a partner much quicker than anyone else. Don't worry. You are so wonderful. You can do it. You can do it. And the thing is, there wasn't anything radically different that he told me, but he just gave me the confidence that, yes, he sees that I can go. I can achieve it. And then when I kind of failed, he was like, no, you can still achieve it. You can achieve it. And that was something which really helped me change my mindset because I've never had anyone else tell me that yes you can achieve it yes you can achieve it yes, you can achieve it and I kind of started thinking oh if he thinks I can achieve it I can achieve it um, and I think the third part really and that's something which the ladies themselves just need to think about is how do you bring this confidence from inside right? Because uh, in many of the cases, it's not about women in technology specifically. It's just like the women thing. Sometimes you don't feel fully confident. Um, I don't know, whatever the area may be. But it's just going through your mindset and seeing failure as an opportunity to grow, or it's just seeing a way how you can keep going, keep moving, and don't wait for the inspiration. And that is something which I found quite helpful. But it took me a long time uh, to to get to that.
1: All right. So uh, I think uh, one more advice that we can give uh, to the listeners, not only women, uh, even men, or uh, speaking of diversity, even other races, other cultures listening to this podcast is please watch Alina's TED Talk. (laughs) all right so at that note i like to say uh that this was the perfect podcast episode to end the year inspire more people you know to go out there and uh, achieve what they want to achieve just do it um and uh you know that they can actually make it so thank you for sharing with us alina uh how failure is an opportunity to grow and that you should never give up so alina thank you where can our listeners go online to follow you hear what you talk about and what you're up to
0: yeah i mean my biggest area is linkedin so you can find me by just at alina Timofeva. i mean the other big one is the tadex talk which you mentioned already kevin i think that's a good start
1: <laughs> again thank you alina you've been a very wonderful guest thank you very much for your time thanks all right that's a wrap for this episode of coding over cocktails to our listeners what did you think of this episode let us know in the comment section from the podcast platform you're listening to. Also, please visit our website at www.torocloud.com for a transcript of this episode, as well as our blogs and our products. We're also on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk to us there because we listen. Just look for Toro Cloud. On behalf of the team here at Toro Cloud, thank you very much for listening to us today. This has been Kevin Montalbo for Coding over cocktails. Cheers!